You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to Your Program Is Your Ticket. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your Program Is Your Ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, Your Program Is Your Ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. Today's show is part two of a follow-up to my Act Two Places series. I'm calling it The Collective We. In this series, I brought on many, many guests to discuss how COVID-19 affected them and their organizations. As you all know, we got hit hard with a major change of lifestyle and business systems during this pandemic, and theater wasn't spared. In fact, theater has undergone one of its biggest shifts, if not the biggest shift, in the history of modern theater. My guests on today's show are former panelists of the Act Two Places series, as well as a participant in the very last episode I recorded live before the shutdown. They are here to compare and contrast their experiences going through the pandemic and update us on how they're doing as we hopefully transition out of the pandemic, whatever that may look like. So let's bring them on. Hi, your program is your ticket alumni, and welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming back and being on this sort of uh, cumulative show of all of our experiences dealing with COVID-19 as uh, theater professionals. Um, it's It's been such a rough ride and um, it's been so ever changing. I mean, the line is continually moving and still does even as we go, as we go into more hopeful times. So um, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're all here and uh, that you made time for this. And I know that my listeners will, will be as well. So uh, thank you for that. Okay. Let's all have you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your place in the theater world. Okay. We'll start with Aaron. Hi, uh, my name is Aaron Cronican, and I am the executive artistic director of the Scene Place Theater, which is a social justice ensemble based in New York City. And tell everybody what the the Seeing Place means. I didn't know. Uh, the Seeing Place is the direct translation of the Greek word for theater. So theater literally means the place we go to see ourselves, and we could not believe that that name was not already taken. <laughs> Okay, who who knew that? Who knew that already? No, no. Nope. Wow, look at you, Aaron. 
<laughs> just like coining names from way back in the day. And right. I think that's very cool. Okay, uh, let's bump down to Rob. Rob, talk to us. Hi everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm Rob Ward. I'm, I'm the token Brit on the panel, uh, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a performer. I'm a, a writer, producer, and a creative director, which is the title I've kind of given myself uh, for uh, Emerson and Ward Productions. Uh, and we're a, a new writing touring company, uh, and we specialise in um, sort of focus on LGBTQ plus work, um, but we widened that out a lot more recently to i guess include stories from the marginalized let's say in society the outcasts the outsiders we we, we like those stories and, and that's what we, we we try and champion excellent okay west uh my name is west heiler i am a director and a writer and i am the co-artistic director of artistic stamp uh, Artistic Stamp is a theater company that produces interactive plays by mail. We commission writers, actors, and we bring theatrical-style adventures into the homes of audience members across the country in an epistolary interactive format. Very well said. I thought that was one of the most creative solutions for uh, advancing you know, your theater company through, through COVID. And I don't think anyone else has done that i've kind of kept an eye out for it and and have you has anybody else tried that there have been there were other uh plays by mail or other plays by post companies that sent uh plays through the post but in most of those the audience was an observer what Mm -hmm. we did is centralize the audience so that they became an active participant so you became a pen pal with a character inside of a story and what you wrote them back what you advised them to do actually adjusted the outcome of the story so it could branch in many different ways depending on what the audience member wrote back so they really had moments of connection and you know we had some audience members send back seven eight page letters and send back gifts we started getting uh you know a little heart that came at one time a little sort of stone carved into a heart and that's that was what was most surprising and rewarding for us yeah it was it was cool how excited you and and Shelley were in the in your podcast uh over just like the explosive nature that the whole thing took on like it and people were doing and like sending like like i don't know like drawings and like all and and collages and things like that right yeah we and we've done three seasons now we've sent and received thousands of letters i think we're up to seven thousand letters or so now and we're moving into educational so we're licensing uh the show through upward theatrics to educational institutions and we're doing a pilot program with clemson university this year where uh, it'll be our idea but the students will become the actor artists and they will write to the audience members so you get to have agency for both the actors and the audience in a really fun interactive way very cool now, before we go to Neil Markey, I did want to circle back to Rob Ward because I, I met Rob at the 2016 uh, Dublin International Gay Theater Festival. That yeah, was right. it that long ago? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I think it I, was it 16. No, I think, no, actually, no, I think it was further back. I think it was 14, but wow. yeah, yes, when wow. we were, when we were young men back then. When neither of us had beards, sure. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, okay, uh, Neil, please tell us about you. 
Uh, I'm Neil Markey. I'm coming from Cleveland, Ohio, and I, I thank you, Sean, for having me. I feel like I was invited to the big kids' table today. So um, I am part of Home Fires Burning, which is a small production company here in Cleveland um, with the goal of bringing Broadway-style talent and productions to communities that may or may not have exposure to it. So... Um, you know, we 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 bring uh, some musicals, some stage productions, some benefits, um, and try to get you know some sort of marquee talent, and you know expose it to the schools and the communities that um, may not you know, just you know don't have the access that a lot of people do. So, I'm also a writer and also a father of two actors who were going through college at on COVID, which I you know also have a perspective on you know (laughs) indeed you do um now while not part of the act two places series the the reason why i wanted neil to come on is because neil was part of the last interview that i did in person before the covid shutdown um in addition to that his his uh, company has also been quite a cheerleader and a supporter of your program is your ticket um and he's also a friend and i do I do know those daughters and they're, they're lovely. And yeah, that must've been a major struggle. So I sort of wanted to bring on Neil for a little perspective of what sort of like we were like in that meeting and how it all just like blew up. So thanks everybody. You, uh, you all did wonderful introductions and I uh, appreciate that. Now remind us of where you, your theater company, your theater business stood immediately after the shutdown. Like, tell us about about that again, very briefly. Who wants to start? We, um, at the same place, uh, had just started our 10th anniversary season with a sold-out run of um, Animal Farm, which we adapted with the blessing of the George Orwell estate. And, And we were just like ready to go with our next show. We were supposed to do Exit the King by Ionesco. And uh, it just left us completely in the lurch, our deposit on the space. We weren't sure if we would get that deposit back. Um, so we we tried to see whether we could do some things online with it. But it, it's such a physical show that we just abandoned it completely and really abandoned the whole season. Well, your hand was forced, so I, obviously that was not a, a decision you would have made voluntarily. So yeah. I won't say abandon. Let's just say that you, you know, had to put it off, or maybe in the future, and that. So, yeah, so, yeah, we're we're getting back to it now. So good, good, excellent, cool. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's go to Rob. Yeah, I, I, we found ourselves in a similar situation. So, so we'd actually just. Um, premiered a new play I'd been writing and we'd been developing from a commission from uh, the Curve Theatre in in Leicester, um, about an hour outside of London. And um, it was called The MP, Auntie Mandy and Me. And it was a a sort of exploration of um, the north of England politics post-Brexit, you know, in the reign of uh, Boris Johnson and... uh, it also explored kind of provincial queer life and um, and um, coercive control within the gay male community. So we were trying to bring together a lot of different kind of ideas, and and it it, it, it had been received well. And, and we were 
we were in discussions with uh, a venue in Edinburgh to take it to the fringe in the August. And, and so we were in that process of, okay, we, we've got something on our hands here that we're, we're quite excited about. Uh, and this is the logical next step for us. And, and then, yeah, yeah, that's, that's where we were at when, 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 it, when we found out that it was, was shutting down. Wow. Are you going to try to take it back to Edinburgh Fringe? When it, when it, Funnily enough, th- this this week we've been sending out a, a promo packs to, to venues. We'd like to go back to Edinburgh with it next summer, uh, and then follow that up with a with a, a tour in the kind of autumn winter time twenty two twenty three. So that's that's the current plan with that particular show. Yeah, are they? Is is that when they will actually officially reopen their fringe next summer, or did they do a year? Did they do a, they, uh, do one this year? Yeah, they, they did a, a much smaller uh, festival this summer. We had a show that was involved online. They had a big digital program. Um, I, I went up for for a couple of days, and y- you know, it was interesting when I was searching through the the, the theatre um, program they were offering. You know, normally you're talking thousands of shows, and, and and when I was going through the filters on the on the Ed Fringe website, and I went live theatre, you had a choice of sixty. 60 live shows compared to you know thousands normally so well it was a smaller event but yeah it it should be all being well back in in full swing next summer oh good good glad to hear it okay west please uh i was in las vegas doing a show as a freelance director artistic stamp didn't exist at that time and shelly had come out for spring break our 11 year old son was on spring break and we were in tech we didn't even make it to opening aaron and rob like you guys i sort of am glad you got to at least see your show uh happen um so that show just stopped the strip closed down and shelly and i got in an rv that we rented in vegas and we just started driving thinking this would be a short little you know they said it would be two weeks at the time i thought oh we'll go tool around the grand canyon then come back and finish the show and as it went on, we just kept driving east in the RV and we kept getting work canceled. Each of us had about five gigs lined up. And so we lost 10 gigs over two and a half weeks where they just, it's postponed, delayed, postponed, delayed. Um, and we finally got all the way to South Carolina, dropped off the RV and moved in with my dad. <laughs> wow. And it was sort of during that time, you know, when and we were with my dad uh, thinking, what are we going to do next that we came up with Artistic Stamp? And are you still living with your dad right now? No. Okay. I was going to no. say. I, I, I moved my whole family back in with my father as a <laughs> mid-40s man, which is a... <laughs> I don't recommend the experience to everyone, um, but we, we stayed there about six weeks, and then we actually moved to Greenville, South Carolina. Oh. Uh, we let our lease go up at our place in New York, and we spent. Uh, we said it would be a gap year at that time. We didn't actually know how long it would be, but it was a very wise move on our part, and we've been in South Carolina while the pandemic raged, and now that it's over, we're starting to go back. Shelly was just in New York. She goes back. Uh, Monday to do the Fiddler on the Roof tour. Um, I'm going back in October because uh, I'm participating in Comic-Con, so we have some things coming up. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Very cool. And I feel like Bridget Jones when I say this a little bit, but uh, I I always say that West and Shelley, they're like the class, you know, the class couple photo in your yearbook every year. That's what they're like. They're like like perfectly matched. They're just just <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we are perfectly matched. We're definitely like the class couple photo where there's kind of disheveled in the photo. No, 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 no. You guys, you guys are awesome. Okay, Neil, tell us about how what happened with you and your business. We produced um, the Broadway Princess Party um, out here in Cleveland um, for a local school, and it was you know it got us all revved up and juiced up and we're like okay we can actually do this and we you know we were we were starting to plan everything and all hell broke loose and um so we tried to pivot really quickly and like okay what can we do and um because some of the um the partners are actors um we got their perspective of it and you know we were concerned about the acting community um getting work so we thought maybe we could fabricate something to least give them work while they were shut down and then Broadway shutting down was just so surreal. It just, you know, especially being removed, being in Cleveland, it was just like something you watched on TV that didn't really happen. But, you know, my daughter was in New York and it was like, it just was creepy quickly threw together a sort of um, try to combine and, and help a, a Hurley's restaurant, which is in right in the theater district in Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, very supportive of the theater always has been has, there's a lot of opening and closing parties there. Um, so we were going to bring some people there to do kind of a cabaret style um, and, you know, bring business in for the restaurant. The restaurant was going to give all the proceeds to the actors. Um, and we were, you know, coordinating that, getting, lining up the talent. Everyone was so gracious and generous and excited just to sing or, you know, speak or do anything on a stage, no matter how small. And then the laws changed in New York and we couldn't do that either. Um, so I don't, I, I'm not sure what the title is, but it was some cabaret law or whatever, but that was forbidden. So yeah, the cabaret ordinance in New York, um, wouldn't allow us to do that benefit at Hurley's or that concert at Hurley's. So um, after that, we didn't really know what to do. So, um, but people were coming to us and it was an interesting thing because companies were looking for us to create benefits or, you know, something for their company, uh, different industries. And meanwhile, because, you know, actors were part of our business they were getting barrage and for the, for the actors and they didn't realize the actors were out of work. <laughs> you know, they weren't in a position to, to be donating their time. They needed to, to, to work. So we sort of put everything on hold. Uh, uh, Rob, David and I actually went to London uh, probably about, I don't know, um, three weeks before the shutdown and people were talking about it. And I mean, the theater was still open we went on one of those boat rides in Cambridge, like behind the universities. I don't know what they're called. I forget what they're called. But anyways, the, the guy in the, um, who was driving it said, how are things in America for, for COVID? Are you, are you concerned? We were like, 
no, we're fine. We're good. And, and then literally like yeah. three weeks later, I shut down. We, we did not have great communication out here. Now I'm going to go to uh, Aaron and Wes because I, are you familiar with this cabaret ordinance? Either one of you? Uh, I, I don't recall this. I just remember uh, I wasn't working on anything that was going to be in that cabaret form, but I do remember uh, the sort of outrage about it because the restaurants were still open and it seemed kind of crazily unfair that you could have restaurants open, but not a space that had food and wine and someone singing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, wow, was that, was that the issue or was it that the Hurley's doesn't have a cabaret license? It, it was, I think, the the former. It was they weren't allowed to do it, um, and we were planned. We, you know, we would have done it outside if we could. We were just told we absolutely could not have someone performing in a restaurant during this time, right? Because all those spaces, like Fifty Four Below and Don't Tell Mama, I know they were all sort of up in arms about this, and it it does it, it did seem ridiculous to me that, but like a bowling alley could be open, but not a. <laughs> Cabaret. I'm like, I don't understand. Um, Rob, did you, did you, in London, did you, did you have the same kind of thing going on where there was there confusion and you, you, you could sing here, but you can't eat here. You can eat here, but you can't sing here. Was that, was that happening as well? And in Manchester? Yeah, the, the, there was a lot. Um, there was a lot of confusion. Uh, and I think it wasn't helped also because there was sort of signs coming out of, of mainland Europe. Um, there was, you know, in Italy, and, and you could see it moving west. And there was a sense in our country of we need to move fast. Unfortunately, we have a government that doesn't like to move fast, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. So it suddenly hit us. <laughs> and it was like, right, well, here we are, locking down later than everyone else. Um, and, and, and by then, you know, it, it was too late. But but there was, it was so bizarre throughout the year. You know, we had a, a thing in August last year in the summer. It was known as Eat Out to Help Out, where our our government subsidised restaurants to offer half-priced meals. Yeah. So you've gone from being locked down for months to suddenly, okay, everyone, go out and support your, you know, your local restaurants. And we're thinking, well, but we, uh, you know, <laughs> not, only five minutes ago, we were being told to stay in and only leave you know, for one hour a day for exercise, and now we're going to restaurants. Really, what what's going on here? It was it was a mess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. As I said many times, the line just keeps moving, and it doesn't help now that you know we've got variants popping up, like the Delta variant, and you know it was kind of like the same uh, you know liberation going on here in New York City, and. Like, oh, wow, cool. And I'm walking around and no mask and I'm like all confident and stuff. And then all of a sudden it's the Delta variant and we had to reverse course again. And we don't know if, you know, they've, they've shown that the, the, um, uh, vaccines work against the Delta variant, which is very good, but we didn't know that for a long time. And that was, that was, I don't know. Did, did, did any of you in your, in your companies, feel that as professionals like oh we can now oh never mind well that's one thing i think we saw with artistic stamp is that you know we're getting interest from colleges licensing it because they say well this is a show we know we can do and we're not going to have to cancel because they had planned 
productions and then the Delta variant comes, you, oh no, it's canceled. And you plan one, oh no, it's canceled. Mm -hmm. And I think because, you know, we do a plays in the post office, you can receive it no matter where the artists or the audiences happen to be. But I think that uncertainty you know, is just, it is lesson every day for sure, but it is still something that we're all living with, I think, as theater artists. How about you, Erin? Yeah, we, um, we started going back, uh, live in June with our training because we train our, with our ensemble on a weekly basis. Um, but we had it as a hybrid so that those who felt comfortable coming in, could do so in person, but we also had it on Zoom at the same time. And we noticed that the artists were still not comfortable, um, even though everybody was vaccinated. So we eventually kind of drew the line, the hard line and said, all right, in September, after Labor Day, we're going to all aim to be in person. Because otherwise, well, we won't get used to it. We have to learn how to live with this, you know, this horrible disease that's out there. Right. Yeah, I was telling David, it feels like we all like died a hundred little tiny deaths, uh, you know, like the death by a thousand cuts or whatever, a hundred little tiny deaths. And we have to resurrect a hundred little tiny times to, to just get comfortable with just certain things. Like I remember the first time we actually were okay with having food ordered in, you know, we were wiping it all down, but had to get used to that and then had to get used to going outside. And then the first time you go on an airplane, I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, it really, really is. Where do you stand currently now that we're hopefully moving out of the pandemic? I know Aaron, you said you're, you're firing up rehearsals again in a hybrid format. That's going to, going to go to all live rehearsals. Um, Rob, where are you and Max Emerson, who is your business partner? Uh, where where are you with things? Are you do you feel comfortable being in the theater? Do you feel? I mean, so yes. Yeah, so just last week, uh, we uh, uh, we had a, an R and D research and development week, essentially workshopping a, a new script of mine at a theater in in Newcastle in the, in the northeast of England, um, and. It was, I mean, it was wonderful to, to be back in a room with, with creative people talking about the script, you know, just sort of having those moments in rehearsals together. It, 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 and it was, you know, at first, you know, we, we all were wearing masks and, and we were just checking in with each other. Everyone was having to take sort of lateral flow tests every couple of days. So, you know, we were we were coping with the new reality, I suppose. We, we were living through, you know, what, what, what it... I think is going to be over here for the foreseeable future in, in you know, communal spaces. Um, but it, it felt like, you know, we, we had a sharing with an audience who came along and started to talk about, you know, programming the show and develop. So it feels like we're starting to have those conversations again. There's a sense, I think there's a, a sense of a conflict in the audiences sometimes. The conflict of we do need to get back to things versus the trepidation still that it, it is kind of out there. Um, and I think we're still having that battle a little bit, but creatively we are starting as a company to, to move forward and, and look at what's next. That's, that's excellent. And I have to say, I think that, that, uh, 
England was a lot more advanced as far as communication over America. I mean, David and I would would watch our BritBox app on our TV and watch like news programs, and I would I would like tune into your news programs to get sort of a bit of a glimpse on what I think where I think we were going to go next week. So I, I that that's that's just that, an observation I have. Yeah, that that is really interesting. Um, because over here we felt like <laughs> the communication was all over the place. We weren't, we'd never been told one clear message. Uh, it probably doesn't say a lot about the the, the the people in charge of both our countries through the pandemic, does it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> at that time, absolutely. Um, yeah, and and you're you're starting to come back. Um, I, I feel like London theatre is starting to come back a lot faster than than American theater. I'm seeing a lot of stuff like reopen pretty quickly. We're very, very slow to reopen, although it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of starting to boom now. Um, is, is, do you feel like things are getting back to normal? Yeah, no, no, it, it feels like it's there. It feels like the audiences are coming back. As I say, you know, maybe full numbers, full houses aren't back yet. Um, still a little bit of trepidation sort of lingering. Aaron and Wes, what what do you think about that? Do you think that? Uh, well, I think you... there's a I think there's a couple of different factors, and and Aaron, you I'm sure you're seeing this too in New York. I think one is the the legal requirements, and we've talked about those do change. I mean, just one sort of funny story. When I was in Vegas, I was working with Piff the Magic Dragon, and when uh, he opened, they had this rule that he had to wear a mask if he was in six feet of a, of an audience member on the stage, unless he was eating. Um, if he was eating from, uh, you know, a thing of rice, then you did not have to wear a mask because apparently food kills COVID, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's like these sort of things that you're always having to deal with. Then I think another factor is, uh, uh national audience comfort. How comfortable are American audiences getting out and going to the theater? Because, you know, even if you are able to open again, that doesn't mean that the audiences are going to come. And then in New York, we have the added complication that a lot of our audiences tend to be international. And so what's happening in other countries and if those borders are open, if they feel comfortable traveling, uh, all of those, I think, sort of add into this. And only a very small part of it is organizational. Uh, Aaron, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's been an interesting discussion in New York about, well, are the larger theaters going to fare better than the smaller theaters or vice versa? And because you think a smaller theater, there are fewer people to infect you, but it's also lower ceilings and more compact um, versus a Broadway theater that has these, you know, gorgeous high ceilings. And so that creates the illusion of being safer because you have more air to circulate, but then you have a thousand people who are all breathing in that air. So um, I, had just seen on um, a post of a colleagues on LinkedIn stating that they're having trouble selling tickets for their show. They're um, off, off Broadway um, and they're doing a well-known show, um, but are still having trouble selling tickets. And a couple of the people commented that they're still not comfortable going to the theater. Yeah. I am in, in the other panel that, participated in in these two shows uh we even had one of the 
artistic directors say she was still not comfortable going to the theater herself. She wasn't comfortable going to a theater. She wasn't comfortable uh, bringing her her people in from her ensemble to to rehearse. So I think there's just such a like a, a, a wide continuum of, of fear and concern going on. And we don't know. That's that's what sucks is that we don't have a lot of definitive answers. We have a, a better way through and out, but it's not I don't it's not just audiences. I think it's 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 uh, our leaders as well. I mean our, our theater leaders. So that's that doesn't surprise me at all at all. Uh, what do you feel that you've learned from going through this experience? What will you take with you into the post-pandemic world, whatever that looks like, and variants be damned? I found it really inspiring, this idea of giving the audience agency and centralizing the audience. Um, we did that with Artistic Stamp. And, you know, I have done tons of shows where you look out and you see all these people in the dark, but you don't really know anything about them. You know, you get them to sort of react en masse, applause and laughter and tears and gasps. And with artistic stamp, it's as if every single one of them, I was able to stop the show five times and say, what do you think of what's happening? Mm -hmm. And they were able to tell me, and the responses were so different. It was not a homogenous whole. Everyone has sort of a very different reaction to what's going on and has their own stories and their own lives. So this idea of letting actors and audience members somehow considering the experience so that they have a central role and that they are considered when you're creating the show, um, not rather than just sort of the performers on stage. And I don't know what that means necessarily. I know that the shows I've done in Vegas since then, the Piff, the Magic Dragon, and I Illuminate both have audience interaction on stage. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It might be, you know, at, at, at Comic-Con, I'm doing a Dungeons and Dragons thing with Broadway actors, and that's sort of a more freeform improv thing. Uh, but there's all these sort of forms that I think are really interesting to explore now. Oh, cool. Okay. For, for us, we, we really started looking at uh, you know, if the world is falling apart and you can no longer do um, your passion and do your job, you know, you're losing all your work. We had to answer the central question, why theater? So what's what's the big deal about theater? Is it just entertainment? Is it just a place of community? Um, or are we changing the world? And so we... We really looked at that, and uh, the pandemic inspired us to really lean into um, cause-driven theater, to be leaning into social justice, and trying to, um, similar to what West was saying, to try to involve the audience beyond just sitting and listening, to inspire them to civic action. So you've seen this show that's talked about this particular topic. You've met these kinds of people. What next? And so we're trying to engage the audience in that kind of conversation. Now, were, were you that focused on those issues and those items before, or was there a focus and this just intensified it? it we were, but I think that our messaging got stronger because the... 
because answering the question why theater, you know, I think there's especially for us as an actor-driven theater company, there are, are some thoughts in the world that, you know, actors are just trying to get attention for themselves and they're just living out their dreams and there's no public benefit. And you think about that when you're grant writing, you're trying to prove value um, so that you can raise funds. You're trying to get a, a grantor to say yes to your project when there are thousands of other projects out there. But um, really we just acknowledged that the, the scientific studies that have proven that empathy gets created by people sitting in an audience and taking in theater, that heartbeats sync up with one another when they're sitting in a theater together. And if that's not changing the world, I don't know what is. I think what was shocking to me was what, what a, you know, the lens that was put on theater and what a void it created when it was gone. Um, you know, everyone who's involved knows how important it is, but it, it affected people in in all walks of life, and, and it was missed. It was really missed. And yes, I think there was some um, concern that you know, yeah, all right, who cares about a Broadway actor who's making how many thousands of dollars a week because because they can sing? I mean, really, what is that adding to society? Well, to your point, it, it is, and and people missed it. They people needed it. Um, and I think, and I'm hoping, maybe not thinking, I'm hoping that coming back out of it, it, it'll have a new respect. Um, and not just for the people on stage, the people behind stage, the people who dress the people on stage, the people who take the tickets, the people who are the, the audience, the people that are going and, um, people missed it. And I hope, I hope we remember a little bit of that. There was a major illumination of that void, I think. I think everybody was just like, wow. But, you know, theater is scrappy. Theater is scrappy. That's one of the things that I've learned about us. We're scrappy. And <laughs> and and uh, uh, I, I think that we we showed that. We showed how tough we are. Rob, how about you? What have you learned over there in, in, in I, Manchester? In Manchester over here. Well, I think um, a, a couple of things, really, just to piggyback on some of the points that, um, that West and, and, and I think, Neil talked earlier about um, taking theatre to, to communities that don't necessarily experience it um, all the time. And I think that's become a real um, MO w w with our company. Um, uh, through Earlier this year, we, we, we created a piece that was, was done, played out over <clears throat> Zoom. And we found that by, by sharing it, you know, People can sit at home and, and, and switch on, you know, their, their computer, their laptop, their, their iPad, wherever it is, and that they can maybe have their first engagement with, with theatre that way. And that sometimes the, the, the structure of the theatre building strangely can be quite an intimidating place. It, 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 and I don't know if it's the same with you guys, but in the UK, there's, there's a sort of class association with it. There's a sense of... The theatre is the place where you dress up and you, you know, it's a real um, exclusive kind of uh, experience, which it, we know it, it, it isn't, it shouldn't be, but it has that association. And I just wondered whether, you know, reaching out to these different communities through a different format initially can be a way to break down that barrier um, that of, uh, this isn't a place, you know, where I fit in and say it absolutely is because what we're doing is we're telling stories and, and these stories are 
are universal. Um, and it, it certainly made us think moving forward with our live performance work about are there other vehicles we can we can use to engage different audiences and, and, and welcome them not just to our work but you know into into the theatre space and, and, and that live experience. That's a, a great, outstanding point. It really is. Um, I, I always, I didn't realize this until I started producing my own writing. And um, you don't realize how much competition that you have that you didn't foresee as competition before, like TV and like uh, uh, having to drive somewhere and having to park and having and having to get dressed up. There are so many things that that prevent people that they just go, I just, I just don't want to have to deal with that. Um, and I think that while we want people to come back and, and, and participate in live theater, that's the ultimate goal. That's not the first time I've heard that. Um, mm. I think it does. It's, it's a way to, it's a, it's a bridge to get people to, to see what we're all about. Um, are, are any of you in intending to, well, I guess like, like West, you, you and Shelley, I know that you have expanded your, you've, you've expanded artistic stamp considerably. Well, right? we've it's, moved, we moved away from single tickets into licensing and into partnerships with schools. That was our big adjustment. So the first three seasons were all individual single ticket sales and everything we're doing now is all partnerships with other organizations, either organizations that have licensed it through uproar or people that are asking us to produce it, but we're running it for a college class or for a school classroom or something. And Rob, just, I, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. We we saw a lot of that this year because our letters would go to very, you know, you can get it anywhere and we'll go to very rural communities. And when we moved into this licensing agreement, some people wrote us back and were like, please don't do this. You're the only theater I can get. You know, the nearest theater is a three hour drive away. And it made us sort of realize when we think about accessibility, I think often we think about differently abled people, which we absolutely should focus on, but we should also think about people in rural areas. How do we increase their access to live theater? Um, so I just, when you were talking about, I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plus there's that there's now hopefully going to be uh, a re-engineering, if you will, or, or, or uh, a, with the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. People are going to have more of an appreciation for any kind of theater at this point because we've done without for a year and a half. So whereas it was before, oh, that's a thing, you know, that's a little small black box. I don't know if I, I don't know what that's about. I don't know. I think that, um, that people will actually start going now because it's an opportunity. It's a chance to be in those rooms, to feel the collective heartbeat, um, to, to see people up there acting and, and creating art. And, and, uh, so I, 
I, I've always said it's sort of um, it, it's uh, even evened out the playing field a little bit. I don't know if that's too crude or if that makes any sense, but um, things that people wouldn't do before they they did over the last year and a half, and they will do now. And I think that that's important to acknowledge. That's sort of what I feel about it. So anyway, um, where do you think theater stands overall as we transition into the post-pandemic world? I apparently just gave my answer, so I'll kick it to you, panel. It's a, it's a new beginning. I think there's a new appreciation. I think there's going to be a new excitement. I think there's a chance. And I, I, I believe a lot of people over the year, the 18 months, took advantage of the time and were creative and were writing different things and were different voices and, and, you know, exploring different areas, like you just mentioned, Sean. And, and, you know, I know like we were trying to find creative ways to stage something somewhere that was safe. And, and although with the variants and everything, nothing really came to fruition, but there's an awful lot of good ideas for the future. And we're really excited. That's nice to hear. Yeah, I, I would agree with, with, with Neil totally there. I think that it, it's it's made us more resourceful in a way, almost as, as theatre makers. You know, it, it's made us think outside the box, and I think through that can only come more, you know, challenging, uh, engaging, and interesting theatres. So, yeah, I'm 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 positive that through a very bleak time, through adversity, can can come some really interesting and and powerful stuff. Okay. Cool. We'll go to West, and then Aaron will give you the last word. Well, I think we've got to acknowledge sort of the racial inequity that COVID forced us to, you know, bring to the forefront of theater. I think that is going to have very positive repercussions going forward. And I think the investment that you see in every single theater doing in equity, diversity, and inclusion uh, is going to be almost revolutionary. I think this is going to be a if, if, the greatest change, I think, that happens certainly in American theater uh, post-COVID. Um, but I do see as well as this sort of acknowledgement of who's telling the stories and who's represented and what different voices are we representing on stage, that there does seem to be a greater openness to styles right now and things which previously may have been considered experimental now producers are willing to get behind and you're seeing these kind of shows coming to broadway so it's sort of a very exciting time i mean i i would i would uh i'll be bold and say that i think we're entering sort of a creative renaissance for theater because of all of these factors i think it could be a really amazing time where new forms new stories new ways of storytelling different artists getting involved and it increases an audience base in an exciting way uh i'm i'm going to choose to be positive and say that's going to be the next 10 years Well, that was a very eloquent way of me saying that we've leveled the playing field. So I appreciate you, you plussing that for me. No, I totally agree with you. Okay, Aaron, take us home. Yeah, I agree as well with um, what everybody said and with what Wes just pointed out. Um, There is, has been a real reckoning um, for the people in this country um, and people worldwide to stop discriminating and to look at our systems and uh, really abolish everything that's broken Um, or actually more plainly abolish everything that's been working exactly as the way it was designed um, and get rid of those programs. 
um, get rid of the systems that are oppressing people. Um, and another thing that I would like to see in terms of accessibility um, is for the union, uh, in particular, Actors' Equity, um, to start looking at what it will take for us to be able to um, stream our productions going forward so that we can have um, access to our works. Um, there are so many different kinds of people who cannot go to live theater. You know, I was talking to a young woman um, who has a degenerative disease that if she sits for any longer than 30 minutes at a time, she gets into intense, excruciating pain that doesn't go away for hours. And so while live theater has been a favorite of hers, she can't consume it, but she can if she's at home, you know, where she can get up and walk around and listen and watch from there. Um, similarly, I have a, a friend who loves going to the theater, but she's now hard of hearing. But since it's a later in life phenomenon for her, um, she hasn't learned reading lips. She hasn't learned um, uh, ASL. So us having an interpreted performance does nothing for her. And so she just goes through the world not being able to understand much of theater. Um, And with small theaters, having assisted listening devices aren't always possible. And so I'm hungry to see what we're going to be making more accessible, um, not only um, with, for, for disabled people, but also in the outreach that was talked about um, earlier. Very good. Okay, I lied. One more question. Now, I only because I thought of this the other day. They say that ambition is uh, a great anesthetizer. Like people who are super ambitious, they're, they've always got something going on. It's tough for them to stop and think. Do you think that this gave us an opportunity to just really stop with all of the day-to-day and, and the plans and, and, and just really think about the way um, society is affecting theater and vice versa and, and make people come to terms with some of these wonderful changes that we're seeing or hopefully we'll be seeing in the future. I mean, I think so um, to a certain extent, but people like me who are very ambitious um, find it uncomfortable to be sitting in silence and thinking, you know, I'm constantly, we were constantly thinking, how do we stay front of mind with this audience we've been developing for the last 10 years um, so that when we hit the ground running again, we're not starting over. And so we just, it forced us to pivot um, pretty dramatically. Okay. I would sort of say the same thing. I think you learned who you are and uh, I think that's okay. You know, like Aaron, Shelly and I made something and we could see who else during COVID was figuring out how to make things. But I have other friends who couldn't. I have other friends who said, all I want to do is curl up and not do anything. And I think that's okay too. I think you just sort of had to be where you were in the midst of this awful tragedy that we went through um and you 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 found out okay this is this is who i am this is how i deal with trauma and however you dealt with it to come out on the other side healthy i i applaud yeah i agree with that rob (coughs) excuse me yeah i i I, am i think there was a moment there wasn't there where where we all realized that 
what all we had to do was kind of survive for a bit. And, and that was the aim, was to, to, to get through this. And we didn't have to... There were no other concerns. There was nothing else that, that really t- was as important as that in, in that period last year and, you know, for a lot of people still into this year. And, um, and I think with that came um, a real level playing field, as, as you mentioned before, Sean. Uh, and I think it asked us all questions about ourselves and, you know, when, you know, if we're lucky enough to come out of this, what is it that I want to do? And what is it that I want to, you know, contribute to my community, to, to, you know, my artistic kind of, um, the artistic world around me. And, um, I think I, for one of, though it came through a really difficult period, have appreciated the chance just to kind of go, yes, I think this is still right for me. And this is the reasons, these are the reasons why. And, I think it's just sort of brought a bit more focus into what I want to do and, and also a sense of, do you know what? Go out there and do it and grab it and, 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 and give it everything you've got. Almost a renewed kind of sense of because life is precious, you know, as we've discovered and, and um, go out there and make the work you want to make, maybe more so than what other people want you to make. Yeah, I think um, like Wes was saying, I mean – People were grieving and make no mistake, they were grieving and everyone grieves differently. So, you know, if you had to just sit back and, and be neutral and not do anything, that was fine. Um, you know, the sad part for me is I know a lot of people, um, left, you know, or at least, and maybe they'll come back, but they left the industry. They left New York. They left, you know, they packed up. They just couldn't do it. Um, you know, and again, um, I had a daughter that graduated with an acting degree in COVID. During COVID, she, she started a career in an industry that was non-existent. And, you know, that was hard. It was hard to watch. It was hard to, to, you know, see. And, you know, she's doing what she has to do. And, and along with thousands of others, and I have a lot of respect for what they're doing. They're, they're, they're keeping at it. And she actually, you know, she booked some gigs and, and, you know, good for her. And it's, you know, but there's other people that we know that are, you know, that were, that just, had to make a mortgage or had to pay rent and they, they, they had to leave and that that's okay. And, and, you know, people, people will either come back or not and it's all okay. But I, I do think, um, however you dealt with it, if you're still standing wherever you're standing, good for you. Yeah, indeed. Um, thank you, Papa Rose, which is what I call Neil. <laughs> he's like, he's like the, like the male Papa Rose. <laughs> I can't. No, actually, b- both of his daughters that are actors are are tremendous. I put one of his daughters in a play of mine in, ex- in an extremely difficult role, and she just knocked it out of the park. She's great. You have all been so wonderful. I love this conversation. Um, you, uh, in addition, you're all such outstanding leaders. And I know I've said this before, but I want to like drive it home. Now that we're like through a lot of this, you know, I told the, the panel the other day, like you pretty much had a big giant pile of craft dropped in the middle of your stage and you have spun it into something beautiful, something gold, And in so many different ways and, and with such thought and care towards your mission statement as leaders within your companies and, um, I, I also want you to know that the 
the the vibe that I'm getting from you now is so much happier and I'm seeing mm. smiles and it's just so nice to see that evolution. And I just, I want to thank you all so much for, for being part of this series. And then part of this, this wrap up show, it's been such an honor to have gotten to know some of you to meet you. And, um, and uh, I'm, I'm just very, very excited that you're, you're now part of the, uh, your program is your ticket family. So thank you very much. <laughs> Well, thank, thank you, John. And can I just say as well, thank you for bringing us all together because chatting with, you know, Wes, Neil and Aaron, it's really inspired me. So, so thank you very much for bringing us all together. Good. It's, it's my pleasure. And I think that um, the, the, the best way that we can go forward now is, and I think Aaron hit on this, is, is almost as uh, like a, a collective we. We have to stop thinking in terms of, of, of just me and I and move forward helping each other out. And, and even if that means if that we help each other out as leaders or we help each other out through our own um, circles and our own ensembles and companies and stuff, I think that that's, that's one of the things that I really have learned uh, throughout all of this is that it's, it's brought us together. And um, for, for something that I think, you know, I realize it's a, it's a disease and maybe you thought it was going to tear us apart. It's done completely the opposite. And I'm really, really proud of you all for being part of that movement. And um, so thank you, everyone, so much for being on the show. Uh, you're all amazing, smart, brave, very, very, very brave artists. And I wish you many broken legs with your piece of the future of theater as we navigate our way back to normalcy, whatever that may be. And I think it's going to be great. So thank you, everybody, for being on your program. It's your ticket. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to my panel, Aaron Kronikin of the Seeing Place Theater, Wes Heiler of Artistic Stamp, Rob Ward of Emerson and Ward Productions, and Neil Markey of Home Fires Burning. Weren't they great? You can find more episodes of Your Program Is Your Ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Again, that's bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Your program is your ticket is also on Facebook at facebook.com. Your program is your ticket. I'm on Twitter at at program ticket. I'm on Instagram at program ticket. I'm also on Apple Podcasts under the Broadway Podcast Network page. In addition, I'm on Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Casts, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform Thespian. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer. We're still transitioning through and out of this pandemic, and they could definitely use your support. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. It's the fastest way you can help them. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until our next show, so long, theater people, and Curtain. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.